Good to see you. Um, of course, we do want you to hear as long as you came. You might as well hear me, right? So uh, um, it's great to be here. Great to see you on a, on a Sunday night. First Sunday night we've had in, oh, two, three months, right? Been a while. So uh, good to see you, folks. And if I take your Bibles, we're going to go to Leviticus 23 in just a moment. We've been actually studying the book of Joel, and it's a book on prophecy, and what we're going to do, we're going to caveat for one lesson, if you will. We're going to piggyback off of the book of Joel. And we've been talking about when Joel was basically preaching to his people during around 800 B.C., the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, they were in a state of rebellion. And if you've been watching the videos or live stream, and we've gone through about the first 10, 12 verses in Joel, it talks about a huge locust plague that was taking place back in about 800 B.C. And Joel is pointing out that in the future, this exact type of thing will happen again during what's known as the Day of the Lord. A horrible time uh, of plagues and violence and so forth that's spoken about in Revelation chapter uh, 4 through chapter 19, verse 10. A lot of chapters on that seven-year tribulation period, as well as many other places. So what I wanted to do uh, tonight, and I, I, if you've looked at the different advertisements, if you will, I sent out about tonight's message, we're actually going to look at Jesus in the Jewish feast. So it's piggybacking off of what Joel was talking about when he was basically, let's turn to Joel first and then we'll go back to Leviticus. So find the book of Joel way back there in the Minor Prophets. Again, there's four major prophets, 12 minor the only difference why they call a major versus minor is the length. So Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel being the longer prophets. Um, the next uh, 12, which I could go through them, but why say them all, right? Uh, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are the 12. I did it. Didn't think I could do it, did you? Anyway, uh, those 12 minor prophets are the, the smaller books, so that's why they got the term um, minor, if you will. So let's go to Joel. Let's just read, to, just set the context as to where we've been, and then we're going to jump into it. I, I, folks, the lesson I'm going to give tonight is one of the most exciting that I've done, and I've done this one all over the country, because it goes into things that, quite frankly, a lot of folks miss because either they just don't understand it, they haven't seen it, or they don't understand what uh, dispensational theology is. And if you don't know what that word means, stick around. Uh, most of you do, but some may not. So we're going to look in the seven literal Jewish feasts in just a moment that Israel was commanded to, to do. And they're all in Leviticus 23. And we're going to see Jesus in those feasts. It's exciting. We'll look at the past, the present, and the prophetic picture. And folks, it's, it's just amazing. We, we could talk all night about what's taking place across America, what's taking place across the world. Things that in my lifetime I never thought I'd see. Never, never in a million years did I think we'd see some of the things that we're seeing right now. And folks, as I like to, to point out, and I know we always like to blame things on Satan, but folks, if you, if you watch what's taking place right now in our country, folks, do you realize what just happened the last two plus months? Where were you? You say, well, I was home because the government shut the church down. Now, was it for a good reason? It was. 
But do you understand, when you look at Bible prophecy, how that's setting the stage for exactly what God says was going to happen in his prophetic word? We're not there yet. Satan wants to counterfeit every single thing that God has planned in his prophetic word. There will be no Christian churches open during the tribulation period. The government will shut them down. It's in scripture, Revelation 13. There will be a one world economy, one world government, one world religion. Folks, everything is being set up as we speak. Huh. How about when you went to uh, Revelation chapter 13, the last verse, and it talked about that silly little number that everybody knows. What's the number? See? 666. What is all that referring to? Well, the verse says no, no man will be able to buy or sell unless they have that number. Now, is it going to be a chip? Is it going to be a... It says they have to have it on their forehead or on their hand. What's going on right now? Is it taking place? Is the stage being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled? You bet you it is. It's amazing. I can't, and you're like, are you saying we're in the tribulation? Absolutely not. But see what Satan is doing. He's setting everything up so after the rapture of the church, when all these events that we have been and shall be talking about are going to take place, it's just, well, it's just, it's just a natural phenomenon. It's another COVID virus. It's, uh, how about climate change? We talk about climate change. Now, the Christian community basically says, ah, oh, it's a bunch of nonsense and it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, and in a sense, you're right, but in a sense, you're wrong. Because God talks about a literal major climate change that's going to happen during the tribulation period. So what is Satan doing right now in the minds of people all across the world? He's setting it up so when prophetic things actually come to pass, which we're going to look at today, some of them, it's just going to be another... Well, that's just what happens. We live through the COVID. We live through climate change. Folks, it's happening right before our eyes. So when you, when you look at the Word of God and you start to get deep inside of it and see all the unbelievable things that it said is going to happen, and now these little teeny pieces are starting to happen. You're reading about them in the newspaper. You're seeing them on the news. How about the riots? Wait a second. How many people die by the hands of police a year? Hundreds. All of a sudden, COVID-19 starts to fall apart on the rector scale, if you will, of the media. It's like, well, the numbers aren't getting us a lot of attention. Now, I'm not, please don't read into what I'm saying. I still think COVID's a, it's a serious issue. It needs to be cared for. But the media lost their power on it. It, it just was dying out. So let me see how, and, and please don't mistake, I'm being a little sarcastic in how I'm saying this, but the media sees an opportunity. An individual, yes, was wrongfully killed, and I 100% agree with that. I was in law enforcement for 33 years. I know a bad scene when I see one. It was a bad scene. But wait a second. Why all of a sudden all across America and all the major urban cities, are we having riots? Are we having disturbances? Revelation chapter 6 talks about in the last days there will be no rest. 
Matthew chapter 24 talks about it. There'll be riots, there'll be pestilences, there'll be tremendous violence. Folks, are we, are we living in a violent society? We are. Folks, what has been taking place across America, it's setting the stage for when the real sin, folks, it's just going to be commonplace. So what we're going to be looking at, we're going to look at some of the past, some of the present, and some of the prophetic future about what God is doing and going to do, and these are amazing things. Go to Joel chapter 1, we'll set the context. I'll try and keep it, uh, we'll be out here by 7 tonight. So Valerie, drop your keys right at 7 so I stop, okay? <laughs> and everybody says, we're throwing tomatoes at you if you go past 7. All right, let's go to Joel chapter 1, we'll pray and get into it. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, hear this, you elders, we're talking about the Hebrew elders in Israel, give ear all you inhabitants of the land, he's talking to all the Jewish people, has anything like this happened in your days or even the days of, our, of your fathers? Tell your children about it, let your children tell their children and their children another generation. Now here he's talking about the horrific plague that was hitting Israel. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. And now Joel starts to hammer on the people that are alive at that time, telling them why they need to mourn and get right with God. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. In other words, all the vines were gone, all the fruit was gone, and God's kind of semi-mocking the people here, if you will. He's saying, go ahead, go, 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 go get drunk. Well, you can't because there's no grape juice, there's no wine, there's no, nothing on the vines. So he's pushing at them. Verse 6. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Bottom line, the locust, the, the, the various forms of locusts, they were going through the land of Israel and totally destroying the land. Everything was gone. All right, so he's getting their attention. He's saying, look at this. And by the way, what does he say? Well, let's keep this a secret because we don't want anybody to know. He said, you tell your children, you tell your grandchildren, you tell their children, and you get the word out. Why? Because it's coming in. And here's, he's going to tell us in just a minute. Verse 8. He said, lament like a virgin, gird with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. He's like, you know how heartbroken. And we talked about this, I think, two weeks ago. Can you imagine being at a wedding? And I was at a, a wedding uh, uh, yesterday, beautiful wedding. And imagine as that bride, if she was standing at the back of the room, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and imagine the bride being there, and she's waiting uh, for the groom to show up, but the groom never shows. And the pastor goes back and says, I'm so sorry, hon. Your, your groom was killed on the way here. He's, he's not going to be here. Can you imagine the heartache of that young lady? And that's how God is saying, just like that young lady would be wailing and weeping and gnashing and just in horrific pain, that's the kind of pain you should have over your sinfulness and not following the Lord God. And now here we go. Verse 9, the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. The priests mourn. The religious leaders mourn. Why? Because the Jewish temple, which we talked about last week, the Jewish temple was where the priests work. 
They couldn't offer their sacrifices. The sacrificial system was literally shut down because there's no food, there's no grain, there's no uh, uh, grape juice, there's no wine, there's no barley. Everything was gone because the locusts had consumed it. 28,000 priests is what it takes to run the temple on a yearly basis. You talk about a COVID unemployment, 28,000 priests had nothing to do. And God is getting their attention saying, listen, guys, do you know why you're basically uh, can't do the services? Do you understand why the sacrifices have been shut down? Because you have forsaken your God. And he's really getting on them here. All right. Go to uh, verse 10. The field is wasted. The land mourns for the grain is ruined. The wine, the new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree, the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Now, here's why we're, we're going to get into the feast now in just a moment. But catch this. What he's saying to the religious leaders that were practicing the sacrificial system. Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth, you, you, who, who, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. So what does he tell the people to do? Just like we did about two weeks ago when we put the tent of meeting up outside and we spent 24 hours in prayer out there. And many of you were there. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to call a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Call the elders and all the inhabitants of the land and the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. He's saying, listen, folks, I want to get your attention. I've taken your food away. I've taken your offerings away. I basically, every single thing that you had of comfort is gone. And he said, now, have I got your attention? Hello? Do I have your attention? It's gone. Folks, I want to tell you, you take all my food away, you got my attention. <laughs> Big time. You take my house away, you've got my attention. You take my family away, you've got my attention. And God's got their attention. And he's saying, okay, folks, now pay attention because here comes verse 15. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come. Come, not is, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. So what we're looking at, and we're going to advance now. We're taking this verse, which is the key verse in Joel. It's talking about this horrible, catastrophic day of the Lord, this seven-year period, also known as the tribulation period, also known as the 70th week of Daniel. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. So he's talking about this horrible time that's going to come. And this is where we caveat for a week, which is where we're at right now. He's talking about the feast. And I thought it's a good time to just get into, and this is, again, this is the Sunday night crowd. You all are the smart folk, right? You're here, you got your pens and papers out, and you're ready to learn. So we're going we're gonna to do some learning right now, okay? <laughs> I know Valerie hates when I talk like that. But it is. <laughs> Come on, I lived a long time, in, or spent a lot of time in Tennessee. My friends like to talk like that. So it's all good. Anyway, um, but uh, here's where we're going. 
We're going to go into the Word of God. Now we're going to look at the seven feasts. So let's take a few minutes and go through that. So let's take a look at our timeline once again. And on the left, of course, is uh, uh, the cross. And that's kind of our, our basis. Now way before the cross, about 800 years before that time, is when Joel was preaching, when he was prophesying. Now we live in what's known as the church age. For the last 2,000 years, we have been living in the church age. It's after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. As we've also made very clear from our timeline, there's an event that's going to shut this world down when it comes to Christianity, which is known as the rapture of the church. What happens? And it could happen any moment. It could happen today. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, let's say it again. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain, should it happen in our generation. Shall we caught up together with them in the air and the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the next thing on God's prophetic calendar. What happens shortly after that is the Antichrist will come on the scene. Folks, that's the stage that's being set as we speak. I don't know if the rapture is going to happen tonight. I don't know if it's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to happen in 30 years from now or 100 years from now. But folks, I'm thinking the coming's got to be getting close because there's too many things that we're starting to see take place that are like, how can that happen? It's, it's like we're so close. So anyway, the Antichrist will come on the scene. He'll confirm a covenant with the Jewish people for a seven-year period. During that seven-year period, all the horrific things between Revelation 4 and Revelation 19.10 will take place. And we're not going to get into that tonight. Then after that, Jesus Christ will come back physically, bodily to this earth and set up his 1,000-year millennial kingdom. At the end of that 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed from prison, which he'll be bound up for in 1,000 years, according to Revelation 19 at the end of the chapter. He'll be loosed for a short season, Revelation 20, verses 8 to 10. He'll gather up all those who have been offensive during that period, and the final judgment will take place, better known as the right white throne judgment, Revelation 20, verse 11 through 15. All right. Take your Bibles. Now, let's take a caveat from... Joel's Day of the Lord, and let's go to Leviticus chapter 23. What we're going to do in the time we have left is I'm going to take you through the seven feasts of Israel, and we're going to see how God placed the Lord Jesus Christ into uh, this scenario. So here we go. Uh, Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 23. I preach from Revelation a lot, obviously, but um, let's go to Leviticus. So let's start at verse 23 and go through the first four verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work in it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. 
All right, so what are we looking at? We're going to be looking at, I'm sorry, I can't move. I got to put the headset back on. Remind me, Tony, next time <laughs> that I got to walk around. Uh, 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 he's talking about these feasts. So we're not going to get real deep into them because I want to show you how these seven Old Testament feasts that were written about in 1445 B.C., how they point out Christ. You say, how do you know the time on that? Well, the reason we know the time is because we can track through the genealogies in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were released by Pharaoh and they began to come back to the land. The first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, all these fancy words tonight, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, first five books of the Bible were written in by Moses in the 1400s, so to speak, B.C., so during that, God is giving them, and here's, here's uh, and uh, I've been asking this several times, and I remember back when we were meeting, I asked this question. How many commandments are there in the Old Testament? The common answer is that you'll get for most people is 10 commandments. Well, there are the 10 commandments, but there's also 603 additional commandments in the Old Testament. 365 negative, 248 positive commandments in the Old Testament. Why did God have 613 commandments in the Old Testament? The whole purpose was to show the Jewish people and anyone else that would listen of the Gentile ranks, you cannot keep God's law. It's impossible. So what God did then was he put the sacrificial system in place to cover sin until who would come and pay the price once for all? Well, Jesus Christ, of course. So Jesus comes and makes that one for all sacrifice, which up to that time had to be covered through the sacrificial system. Also, during that time, he gave these seven feasts that we're going to look at, and they were to keep them. This was no, I mean, this was no playing around. The Jewish people were expected to follow them. So what we're going to do now, I'm going to take you through the feasts, and then we're going to pull in how Jesus is seen in each of the biblical feasts, all right? Now, again, there's going to be a lot of information that I'm going to pump out today. As always, if you want the, the uh, the slides or the information, you can get it off the website, and it'll all be there for you. If you need to take, uh, I, you know, I took, took notes. I've always taken notes at every message I go to. You know why? Keep me engaged. Now, some folks can keep engaged without taking notes. I couldn't, so I took notes. That's the way I learned. Anyway, your call. All right, so let's go through them very quickly. So the first four feasts, which are known as the four spring We've got four spring and we have three fall feasts. Now, every single year, my Jewish friends follow these seven feasts. They take part of them. They go to their synagogues. They have special services. And it's a big deal. So what we're going to do, I'm just going to list the, the, the feasts and we're going to go not real depthy, but we'll get a little bit depthy just to try and understand why these feasts point to Jesus. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, those first four feasts you're looking at at the screen right now, every single one of them was fulfilled by Jesus. And we're going to see how that took place in just a moment. So the first feast we're talking about is the Passover. All right? Jewish people still follow the Passover today. Many Christian people have what's called a Seder dinner. I've conducted Seder dinners for people that uh, uh, basically they're Christians, but we want to remember and see how Christ 
was for what Christ did, if you will, through the Passover Seder meal. By the way, did you know we had a uh, Passover meal this morning? How many of you were here and took communion? Yeah, most of you, right? Folks, that's a Passover dinner. That's part of it. That's one piece of the Passover dinner. Feast of Unleavened Bread. Passover took place, then the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a seven-day feast. How does Jesus fit into that? The next major feast is the Feast of First Fruits. Take a look at the dates, because the dates are going to come extremely meaningful as we go through. Not the actual date, but how many days are between each feast. The Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost, takes place 50 days later after the Feast of First Fruits. Well, isn't that interesting? Well, let's see how all this plays out. Let's take a look at the Passover, and I'm only going to read like one or two verses from each thing in just a moment, but here's the fall feast first. These are feasts that happen more towards, if you will, our Christmas time. Three, that's four, three major feasts, <laughs> I'm working on it, uh, three major feasts will take place every single fall for the Jewish people. These have tremendous prophetic significance, which I'll show you tonight. The Feast of Trumpets. Let's see, September 18th, 2020. From September 18th to September 27th will be known as the 10 Days of Awe. We'll point that out in just a minute. Then comes the Day of Atonement. Huge day prophetically, huge day for the Jewish people today. Then finally, the feast that's talked about more in Scripture than any other, the Feast of tabernacles that happens five days after atonement so we're going to see how all that fits together from a biblical standpoint so let's go to bible uh, go to leviticus chapter 23 and let's look at verse 5 on the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the lord's passover now every single person here you're familiar with passover if you remember, and most every young person that's been in Sunday school knows about the Hebrew children, how they were relieved from Egypt, how they went to the, out towards the promised land on a, a little 40-year journey, right? By the way, out of the several million people that left Egypt, how many people actually made it to the promised land? Two, Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else was killed by the Lord during that 40-year period for their disobedience. That's a long story. We won't get into it. But the Passover, the way the Jewish people were released was God made it very clear. I want you to go out. I want you to kill a lamb. It goes through the complete details in Leviticus 23. Then I want you to take the butt of the lamb and take some hyssop, which is just like a, a leafy branch, and I want you to put that blood around the doorpost. And God said, when the, when the death angel, or when the, if you will, is coming through the house of Israel, when he's coming through the Egyptian camp, everyone who has the blood over them, I will pass over you and won't kill your firstborn. Well, wait a second. Here's the first fulfillment of prophecy. What did Jesus have to do with the Passover? I just said a few minutes ago that we practiced this morning, if you will, in, in literal, in taking it literally, we had the Passover meal or part of it, just a fraction of it. And what was Jesus doing at that Passover? 1 Corinthians Chapter 5 and verse 7, what does it tell us? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, 
since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover. What day was Jesus crucified on? Y'all know that it's right up there, black and white. What day? Passover. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Wait a second. Okay, that's feast number one. That's the Passover. What's, what's, what's the next piece? Well, we know in Passover, all right, we understand that. And I'm going to scoot forward. My slides aren't lining up on my screen, so I'm off a half a click. Well, I've got to keep turning back here. Unleavened bread is the next feast. Jesus Christ is crucified on Passover. Then the feast of unleavened bread begins at that same time. When was Jesus buried? The feast of unleavened bread. Was there any sin in Jesus? No. What does leaven represent? Sin. Huh. And on the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Bread. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what do we have? We have Jesus Christ dying on Passover. He is buried on the feast of what? Unleavened bread. Oh, that'll help. Thank you. All right. So we're down two feasts out of seven. First feast, Passover. Who died on Passover? Jesus Christ. Who's buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see where we're going? All right, let's go to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 9 and 10. And what does it say? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of what? The first fruits. Three days after Passover was first fruits. Jesus was crucified on Passover. He's buried on unleavened bread. And what happens on the Feast of First Fruits? What was the Feast of First Fruits? All the first of the crop was always given to God. So we have Jesus, our Passover lamb, goes to the cross, he's crucified, he's buried on unleavened bread. And let's see, three days later, the Jewish people would celebrate first fruits. But now, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The what? First fruits of those who slept. Whoa! Three in a row. That's pretty good average. Crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread. Jesus Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, is resurrected on the Levitical feast, if you were, of first fruits. Do you think that's coincidence? No, not on your life. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 23 and look at the next feast, verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. 
Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. All right, let's think about this. What happened in the New Testament 50 days after first fruits? 49 days later was the X2 day of what? Come on. Pentecost. Wait a second. Jesus was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits. And what happened on Pentecost 50 days later? The coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, empowering God's people for service. Oh, I think that's four out of four, folks. What do you think? I think he's got a pretty good record. He says, listen, uh, I want you to count forward. So the Jewish people, they would actually count. They would have 50 days that they would count forward. And they knew that on that 50th day, it was actually the day of Pentecost. So they called it the, uh, the counting of the Omer. The Omer was basically a weight of, of uh, uh, barley type things, uh, substances. So they would count the Omer every single day. So what do we have? Here's the chart, if you can see it. So if, if you look at this, this is exactly, folks, do you think it's coincidental that all this took place? Of course not. God designed his word cover to cover to fit together like a hand in glove. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, No prophecy ever came of any private interpretation. For holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Folks, the Old Testament lines right up with the New Testament, no contradictions. And it all fits together hand in glove. So if you look on our little chart here, it's a pretty good one. So it goes back, it recounts the first four Jewish feasts, exactly how they went down in the exact same day order that Jesus fulfilled them. Passover, Nisan 14, Jesus dies, our Passover lamb, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected three days later on the Jewish feast of first fruits. Wait a second, when did I say Leviticus was written? Fort. 1400 B.C., 1400 years before our Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth. Folks, if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, you know, I'm not so sure if this book is true or not. I'm like, folks, what's the odds of this happening? Like infinitesimally off the charts. These are just four little things that God fulfilled I've always stated, I know we've got at least one, maybe two visitors here tonight, and I've stated this for those that haven't heard it before. Inside this blessed book, there are 1,000 prophecies within the 66 books. Out of those 1,000 prophecies, 500, 500 have been fulfilled exactly as stated. Folks, I'm looking at four of them right on the screen right now. That means there's another whole bunch to go, 496, right, that have already been fulfilled. That also means there's 500 more that have to be fulfilled exactly as stated. Now keep that in mind because we're going to look at three prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled in just a moment. But take a look at this. I mean, this isn't this good? I mean, look at what God did in the Old Testament, setting things up, setting the stage for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and fulfill them in the exact same day order. I think that's pretty amazing. I think that's something only God can do. And you know what? It doesn't really matter what I think because God said he did it, and if he said it, that's good enough. Amen? 
I had to get that in. All right, here we go. So they counted the Omer up to Pentecost, also known as Shavuot. All right, fancy Hebrew word. So we have the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks talked about, spoken about in Leviticus 23. It refers to the 50th day after the offering of the first fruits. Jesus Christ, God's Son, fulfilled it exactly as stated. That's amazing. That's exciting. Now we're not going to read the whole passage, but if we went to Acts chapter 2, what happened on Acts chapter 2? What happened on the day of Pentecost? It said there were about 120 people gathered in the upper room. And they'd been praying. They'd been seeking God. Jesus Christ had gone. He'd ascended up into heaven a few days earlier. And if you remember Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 12, uh, they're gathered at the Mount of Olives. Remember that? We talked about it some months ago. And while they're standing there watching Jesus ascend, two angels come to them, verse 11 of Acts chapter 1, and said, why are you, stand, why are you standing here gazing up to heaven? This same Jesus shall so come in like manner just as you saw him leave. And they watched Jesus go up to heaven from the Mount of Olives. He had told them earlier in John chapter 14 through 16, I'm going to send somebody special after I leave called the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you like you've never been empowered before. You will do greater things than you ever thought possible. All of a sudden, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. All of them are literally filled with the Holy Spirit during the apostolic age. We read about signs, wonders, and miracles that they performed. And they performed signs, wonders, and miracles to authenticate who they were. And that all starts on Pentecost. Born to die on Passover. Buried on unleavened bread. Resurrected on first fruits. Ascends up to heaven. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. So what do we have? The first four feasts. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Pentecost, fulfilled in the exact same day order, just like the Old Testament, 1,400 years earlier. Do we have a good book? Folks, there's nothing more solid, nothing more accurate, nothing more worth affirming than this word. This morning on a practical side, and i got to hurry up, i got five minutes, right? Don't drop your keys yet. This morning we talked about the practical word of God and how we need to hide it in our hearts. Folks, this is why. When we start to, this is, okay, this isn't Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. This is getting down into God's word, studying it, understanding what God had put in there. All right, this is getting a little deeper than normal, right? I, I would agree to that. But we've got to study it. All right, I've got to hurry. So what's coming next? Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Fall Feast, the High Holy Day. So let's go through this very quickly and we'll quit. All right, Leviticus chapter 23, let's look at it, verse 23 to 25. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Now, I want you to stick with me for a minute here. Jesus Christ fulfilled the first four feasts in the same exact day order. Death, burial, resurrection, coming of the Holy Spirit. Has Jesus come back yet? No. 
The next time Jesus comes is not to come to this earth, it's to come in the air. We, I quoted it earlier, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 54. When he comes in the air and God's people, dead and alive, that have trusted Christ will be brought, their bodies will be uh, brought up to heaven and given their resurrected bodies, which will stay with him for eternity. But wait a second, what about those other three feasts? Trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. Did Jesus fulfill those feasts in the same day order as of this date? The answer is no. If Jesus fulfilled the first four feasts in the exact same day order, is it at least, let's just call it speculation right now. Let's just call it a probability. Is it probable that Jesus will fulfill the next three feasts in the exact same day order? May I say there's 2,000 years of history that basically say it's a very strong probability that he'll do the same day order at his second coming, not the rapture of the church. Now here's, here's and some people said, you believe that Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church, is going to happen on the Feast of Trumpets? And I say, I don't know. And I'm saying also that because the church is not part of the Jewish prophetic calendar, I, I, to be honest, I don't think Jesus will have the rapture of the church on the Feast of Trumpets. But I very strongly believe, and it's my belief, I, it's a little speculation and I agree to that, that he's coming back on the Feast of Trumpets at his second coming. Let's take a look at that and see if uh, at least we can make an argument for it. All right, so uh, in the seventh month, what? It's the blowing of trumpets. Why do you blow trumpets? It's the sound something's coming. When you go to Revelation, when you go to other passages, and it talks about Jesus Christ coming back to this earth, it talks about the trumpet will sound. Hmm, let's move on. So we have the Feast of Trumpets. If you go to, I don't have time. Revelation 19, verses 11 uh, through the end of the chapter, verse 21, and Zechariah 14, verse 4, talks about when Jesus Christ literally comes back to the earth on the Mount of Olives. He will descend. He will split the Mount of Olives in two. What happens next? Well, if he does come back on the Feast of Trumpets, remember I talked about those ten days of awe. When Jesus Christ come back, comes back, what is he going to do? And I'm just going to give you the, what's going to happen very quickly. You can jot it down or watch the tape, whatever, right? Here's what's going to happen. He touches down on the Mount of Olives, splits it in two. He then goes out to the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 19, again, part of 11 through 21. He wipes out all the nations that have gathered to fight against him. Also in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 2, all the nations are wiped out. Then what does he do? He goes up to a place called Petra, to Bozrah. He picks up the place where the Jewish remnant, one-third of the Jewish people, had been hidden. He then takes that remnant of Jewish people and brings them to Jerusalem, where he begins to set up his millennial kingdom. If you were with us during the study on the Mount Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, specifically Matthew 25. In Matthew 25, we looked at the judgments that the Jewish people that lived through the tribulation, Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, and the Gentile people, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, and he talks about who will be allowed into his kingdom, not the heavenly kingdom, the earthly kingdom, the millennial kingdom. 
how long is that going to take? Well, if he comes back on the Feast of Trumpets, there's 10 days until the Day of Atonement. The Jewish people during those 10 days of awe would prepare themselves for the horrible judgment that they felt they might endure. The feast of uh, uh, what they would do before the high priest would go into the temple and make sacrifice for all the Jewish people, the whole nation. They would spend 10 days, and my Jewish friends, and I have many Orthodox Jewish friends right up in the Milwaukee area, for those 10 days, folks, they don't go to work, they don't get on a cell phone, they don't do anything. They sit there, they try and think of every single sin that they've committed that year. If they've wronged somebody, they'll call them, they'll get to them, they'll try and make their life right. Remember, they're, they're, they're not, they don't believe in salvation by grace. It's like a religion of works. And they'll spend 10 days trying to get their heart right. Because they know on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest, back in the day when the temple existed, would go into that temple, folks, that was a huge day of repentance for the people of Israel. What do you think is going to happen for those 10 days after Jesus returns and you all of a sudden go through all the judgments in Matthew 25 of the Gentiles and the Jewish people and find out who is and who isn't getting into the physical kingdom on earth? Then what takes place? Last thing and we'll be done. The Day of Atonement, when uh, the high priest once a year would go into the Holy of Holies. So the high priest would go in, he'd offer incense once a year to cover all the sins of the people. And it would look similar to what you're seeing on your screen right now. That would be a, uh, a rendition, by the way, sticks our face in the wrong way, but so be it. The high priest would come in, he'd offer the incense in front of the, uh, 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 the Ark of the Covenant. The Shekinah glory of God would stay above where you see the two cherubim whose wings are face to face on top of the Ark of the Covenant. So it's a, it's a close rendition. He would offer the, 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 uh, um, the sacrifice, he'd put the incense there to cover the sins of the people. It is finished. Now, we have another five-day period before the final feast comes, which is known as tabernacles. In uh, Leviticus 23, we'll just read two verses, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. So here's what happens. I'm going to skip ahead in one. You see those little buildings up on the screen right now? Those are known as sukkahs. If you go into the Orthodox Jewish communities, right up here, I mean, you just take a 40-minute run, go up to uh, Sherman Park, some other areas up in Mequon, our Jewish friends, they will build what you see on the screen. They build sukkahs. The sukkahs are a reminder of the Jewish people when they tabernacled in tents, moving from place to place on their way to the promised land. Remember we talked about the tent of meeting in the back when we met at the tent of meeting, a tabernacle? Do you know what it represents? Setting up the tabernacle is the institution, the inauguration of the millennial kingdom of Christ. The Feast of Tabernacles. So, very quickly, if all these have happened in the same day order. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks and Pentecost. What? Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, coming of the Holy Spirit. 
And we go to, uh, I didn't put it on here. All right, if we go to the fall feast, I'll have to do it by memory here. Whoops, there they are. Amazing, not on my screen. I won't want to say it's a miracle, but it is. No. <laughs> Trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. If, if, and I'll give that there's an if here, but I think we're on pretty good ground to say when Jesus Christ returns, if he follows the same day order as he did on the spring feast, he would return on the Feast of Trumpets. He would set up, come out, go through the Battle of Armageddon, get the Jewish people. He would build his temple. Zechariah 6, 12, and 13, Jesus Christ will build the Millennial Temple. Ezekiel 40 to 46, 202 verses that talk about it. He will build his temple. He will judge the tribulation survivors. He will then, on the Feast of Tabernacles, inaugurate his 1,000-year millennial kingdom where Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. Folks, I can't prove that right now. But isn't it amazing that we live in the year 2020 and we've seen 2,000 years ago God fulfill this one set of feasts exactly in the right same day order as it was stated what happened. Do you think the rapture is going to happen? You're like, I don't know. Do you think Jesus Christ is going to return after the rapture of the church? I don't know. You think, he's, you think the, the Bible's going to come true exactly as it's written, even though 50% has come through exactly as it's written? I don't know. I do. God does not lie. <laughs> when you walk out of here in about five minutes, after you get done fellowshipping, and you hit that battleground, how about taking up this sword? And when somebody says, you're one of those nutcase Christians, yeah, I'm a nut. I'm a nut for God. I'll, I'm a full-fledged nut. <laughs> I'm 100% sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is true. Folks, if we don't believe this book is true, time to shut the doors and go home. If we believe every single word in this book is true and is being fulfilled, past, present, and prophetic exactly as written, then folks, we got a whole lot to tell folks, don't we? Folks, this is real. There's nothing like it on earth. Nothing in the world matches God's word. Nothing changes lives like God's word. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. Are you a new creature? And we'll close with this. Are you a new creature in Jesus Christ? If you were to die this very moment, you might not believe one word of what, what I just said. Eh, it's okay. Not really, but it's okay for tonight. You can't walk out of here and miss one thing. We talked about, if you look at that cross, why in the world would God's Son come down and go to that cross? Folks, the entire book, this 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, starts to talk about the redemption of mankind. Why? Because Adam sinned. And when Adam sinned, sin came across all of us. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, we can't escape it. It's not a good thing. And God says, listen, I love you 
you, 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 so much that I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to go to that cross. Why did he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. Folks, many of you may not feel loved. May I please just remind you that somebody loves you big time, enough that he came and said, even though we were sinners, even though we were against him, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm going to close with this. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, folks, would you please get excited about this book? I mean, would you know how much is in there? I mean, we just went through little four little measly prophecies out of 500 that God fulfilled exactly as stated. It's true. That's something worth getting excited about. Your sports teams are going to let you down. Your music lessons are going to fail sometimes. You're going to miss the shot on your hunting. But one thing will not fail. This word never fails. It's rock solid. So if you're here tonight, you've never trusted Jesus, here's what you need to do when we're done. Number one, you understand you're a sinner. Every single person is a sinner. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God said because we've sinned, we got what we deserved. Every single one of us would burn in an awful place called hell. You cannot escape it on your own. But Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins because he loves you. For God so loved the world, you know the verse that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved. Saved from sin. Saved from hell. You say, you got my attention. What do I need to do to be saved? You can't do anything. You say, you mean there's no hope? There is hope. Because you can't do anything. Jesus Christ did it all for you. Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died, he paid the entire penalty. It's get out of jail free. You just have to accept that free gift and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve heaven, but I'm trusting in what Jesus did for me. I'm taking that free gift. Have you ever taken that free gift? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Father, I pray in these last moments. Lord, we've gone through some phenomenal prophecies, things that have and will happen yet according to your word. And Father, I pray that as uh, most folks here probably have trusted Jesus as their Savior, Lord, would you excite us like never before? Would you give us the tenacity to go out and tell folks that we work with and our friends and our neighbors uh, about the great news in the word of God? Invite them to church. Tell them the gospel. Lord, use Union Grove Baptist to reach folks for Christ. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus, you can get saved from your sins right there where you're seated. You say, brother, what do I need to do to go to heaven? Well, I've just gone through it. Do you believe you're a sinner? You say, I understand that. I've, I know I've done wrong. Do you understand it? Because you've done wrong, if you got what you deserved, you'd have to go to an awful place called hell. You say, I do understand that, but that's not what I want. And God says he doesn't want it for you either because that's why Jesus Christ came down, died on the cross for your sins. He paid the entire penalty for you. And here's something you do have to do. Acknowledge your sin right there where you're seated. Say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And now acknowledge what Jesus did for you. Just pray it along in your heart with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve heaven, but I believe Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven to die on the cross for my sins. 
and then finally accept his gift right there where you're seated. Put your heart on the line and say, Dear God, right now, I'm opening my life up to you. I'm receiving the free gift of salvation through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting him as my Savior to take me to heaven on the day that I pass from this earth. Thank you for saving me. Father, seal the decisions. We commit this night to you. Thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.